Coming up, NFL wildcard weekend was anything but super as the league digs out from the rubble with one more game tonight. I'll preview Cardinals-Rams and look ahead to the divisional round next week. The NBA has surpassed the midway point of the season. I'll take a look at the surprises and disappointments of the first half. Baylor finally loses not once, but twice this week, and both games came at home. A new number one awaits in college basketball. A familiar face returns in Boston that can make a difference in the NHL's Eastern Conference. No Australian Open for Novak Djokovic. What does this mean for the first major tennis tournament of 2022? MLB gets the ball rolling toward a CBA. Is there any progress? Lots to get into as we meet once again to discuss all that's happening in the sports universe. But first, this message. What has happened to my good people? Thank you so much for passing by to listen to me wax poetic as I talk about anything and everything that's happening in the world of sports. If you haven't done so, please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast on wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm on all available platforms. You can also go to the website at www.jreels.com for more information about yours truly, the podcast, archive shows, etc. All I want to do is increase the visibility of this podcast, so please throw me a few stars, write a review. It will go a long way into getting the word out. Even take a screenshot, send it to your friends, send it to me on social media. I'm more than happy, willing, able, and open to get your feedback on what it is that you enjoy most about the J Reels podcast. So with that being said, let's hit it. The J Reels podcast begins in 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Let's get this sports podcast party started, all right? The J Reels Podcast. Why don't you wait until July 1st to make an announcement? What a disgrace. He can rack up all these numbers in October, November, and December. But what really counts is let me see this in January. The Sports Rebel Without a Pause, delivering fast-paced, jam-packed sports talk like no other. Listen, I gotta call it as I see it. He is not a good player. I'm sick and tired of having to deal with the disappointment of this franchise. When does it stop? And yes, another winter that I can sleep in peace. Coming correct, directed, in full effect. Let's get it. This is the J. Rose Podcast. Welcome aboard. What is happening, my good people? Greetings. How are you? How's it going? How's everybody doing out there? What is the latest and greatest? Hope everybody's doing well, feeling fantastic, and excellent spirits as we celebrate the first holiday of the new year in honoring the late, great Dr. Martin Luther King. I'll be sure to share an abundance of thoughts, opinions, and analysis on everything that the sports world has to offer as this is the J Reels Podcast with your host, J Reels. For my first-timers, welcome aboard. And for those who have been banging with me for now 233 episodes, I welcome you guys and gals back. It's a Monday, January the 17th in the year of our Lord, 2022. The J Reels What's the Deal segment, what to expect on this podcast is as follows. The Boston Bruins get a significant boost to their lineup as they welcome back an old face to propel themselves in the Eastern Conference. I'll go through what's happening on the ice as the NHL inches slowly towards the midway point of their season. In college basketball, the Baylor Bears haven't skipped a beat after winning their national championship last spring. But in a first, not only did they finally lose, but they also lost again at home. So for the first time in NCAA history where a number one team lost two home games in the same week, I'll get into what's happening on the college hardwood later on the podcast. As far as the association with the pros, we have eclipsed the halfway point of the NBA season already, as we'll go through the league on the surprises and disappointments of the first half, including a huge injury out in Brooklyn with Kevin Durant. I'll touch on that, as well as Novak Djokovic. 
not being granted a visa due to a medical exemption that he filed prior to the start of this tournament down under in the Australian Open, which actually has begun. But what does this mean for the men's tournament and even the tournament on a whole? Is this something to look forward to? Is this something to watch? I'll get into everything that's going on with the first tennis tournament of 2022. Major League Baseball, is there anything to report as far as progress with a collective bargaining agreement since both sides met up last Thursday? You know I got you all covered as we get into it, including my hero in Zero of the Week. Fasten your seatbelts, NFL fans. I have a major dose of reality to serve, whether you like it or not, because no matter how you slice it, wildcard weekend was super, but as in super dud. I'm sure the ratings were great. Many people watched, the checks have been cast, and I get that at the end of the day, that's all that Roger Goodell and the NFL cares about, but they are not, I repeat, by any means not pulling the wool over this guy's eyes, because if you thought that the games this weekend were intriguing or competitive, then not only do you need to get your eyes examined, but you also need to get your heads examined, because if you thought coming out of those five games that it was fascinating that you were at the edge of your seat. Because to me, it was a complete disaster. And I get you could say, Jay Reels, you have it out for the NFL. You've been killing the league pretty much the whole year, saying how it's been underwhelming, saying how you have not been satiated when it comes to the NFL, minus week 18, because obviously the final Sunday of the year was all that and then some. But when we look at what took place, and this is all you need to know about this weekend, You had two lead changes, count them, two, over the five games in the first quarter of the Vegas Raiders and the Cincinnati Bengals, where the Raiders had a 3-0 lead and then the Bengals took over from there. And then in the first half of the Steeler-Chief game last night, where the Steelers surprisingly had a 7-0 lead, and then after that, in the blink of an eye, it was over. Those are the only lead changes of the weekend. And... Besides some drama at the end of the Raider-Bengal game and, of course, the Niner-Cowboy game, which we'll dissect and get into, this was nothing to write home about. And before you start getting on my case to say, well, Jay Reels, not every playoff game could be a nail-biter, not every game could go down to the final seconds, etc. But reason number two why this is bad is that when you have two more teams being a part of the tournament, to where we have the one bye in each conference, and then you have two versus seven, three versus six, four versus five, you're going to have bad games. These games aren't going to be competitive. These games by the half, you're ready to shut off. And it's sad because unlike last year, and I get it with COVID, you want to add the extra playoff team for excitement, etc. All right, fine. And even with that first game with Indianapolis and Buffalo, which that went down to the wire, The Bears and Saints was a disaster. And then you look at these two first-round matchups between two and seven. You might as well have taken a nap or read a book or even watched a movie because there was nothing to even be remotely invested when we looked at both Tampa and Philly and then Pittsburgh and Kansas City. And I get it that the Steelers Chief game in the second quarter, it was a little bit interesting, but did you really think that that game was going to be competitive, especially after... T.J. Watts slid into the end zone to make it 7-0 because that's when the Chiefs woke up and they just turned on the Jets and away we go. And then the funny thing is, is that all weekend long, whether it's on Twitter, social media, etc., I read so many comments from people saying that 
oh, we got to go back to the original format. This is a disaster. Not only that, but how can we watch these games? They're not competitive. And I'm thinking to myself, ah, well, now the light bulb finally went off. Because for everybody that was jumping up and down for a 17-game season and looking forward to the super wildcard weekend, and it was anything but, all of a sudden, everybody woke up from their slumber and realized that, do we really need six playoff games? And, oh, that's right, we still have another one to go through tonight. And I'll get to that in a little bit. But anything that took place over the weekend, and I detailed it, whether it's the two lead changes or just a little bit of drama in two of the playoff games, And this is putting it nicely. It was uneventful. I'm sorry. I want to say that the games are great. Hopefully when we get to the divisional round and a lot of people will argue, and me included, that that's the best weekend of football when it comes to the playoffs. But man, that was tough sledding to watch the last 48 hours or so. And I don't care how the NFL will put it. Yes, I get it that the checks are cashed and that they had their feet up and look at us the ratings through the roof, etc. But the Pinot Grigio last night probably went down like motor oil because these games, whew. And I'm going to dissect it. You know this is what I'm going to discuss. You know this is what I have to get into. But boy, that was some football that was hard on the eyes. It just was. And I don't care. You could spin it however you want. You could even say, J-Reels, you're just the old man, get off my lawn attitude. But again, what games are you watching? I just detailed pretty much the whole weekend in a nutshell. And when I go through these games, and some of it's going to be two minutes, because really, what is there to discuss about New England and Buffalo? Or even Tampa Bay and Philadelphia? Or the midway point of the second quarter of the Chief-Steeler game, where after that, like Mike Tomlin said, if we blink, you're going to have to cut your eyelids because you got to keep your eyes open. Well, guess what? The Steelers blinked. And a 7-0 lead turned to 21-7 at the half. And what does it discuss? Nothing. So let's sort out this garbage, the recycling, plastic, etc. As I recap this, anything but wildcard weekend. So we'll go in order. Vegas and the Cincinnati Bengals. As I mentioned, the Raiders got off to a 3-0 start. Bengals then... Took over on the next drive. Made it 7-3. to They were pretty much in control throughout the course of the game. I understand the controversy with the whistle as Joe Burrow was going to the sideline. And it looked like he was pretty much going to step out of bounds. But he threw it in the direction of Tyler Boyd. Yes, the whistle did go off. Yes, there was a little bit of confusion on the field as the Raider players were pretty much stationary. Wondering what the hell went on. But there was no way, even with the whistle blowing, Boyd had enough separation between he and the defensive back to where he was able to make the catch. It was 20-6 to six at that point, even though the Raiders did score to make it 20-13. to 13. But was this game in doubt at any point? Absolutely not. I understand the final drive, 26-19. The Raiders had a chance. You're going to look at the roughing the passer there where Derek Carr pretty much had his helmet brushed. But as we all know, in this day and age, that's going to be cold. You could breathe on a quarterback, and it's going to be a personal foul. So... Fast forward right there to the end, fourth and goal. I get it that everything's happening fast. I get it that you have to read the field and read what's in front of you if you're Derek Carr. But to throw that pass, and granted it was intercepted, I understand, but that was right before the goal line. It was probably at the one and a half yard line. 
if anything, try to take a shot in the end zone because to have your season fall short, and let's just say if the catch was made, I forgot who the receiver was, it may have been Darren Waller, but even if it was caught there and he was tackled, of course you're going to ask yourself, why are you throwing that pass there in front of the goal line when we're looking to get behind and into the end zone? But as it was, it was picked off. The Bengals finally get their first playoff win in 31 years. And I know the running joke about the Bengals hadn't won in so long that you couldn't send a text message. And now we could scratch that one off. Big whoop. Who cares? Props goes out to my triumvirate, Brian Murray, Reese Sasso, and my guy, Jai Shields. The only Bengal fans that I know on the planet as they look to the divisional round for the first time in forever and give it up for the Bengals. Joe Burrow was phenomenal. He's continuing this magic carpet ride of a season that he's had. And the Bengals, they have a good shot. We'll get to the divisional round. I'll break that down for you later on. But the Bengals were able to survive. And the Raiders, they gave it everything they had. I understand the tough break there with the whistle. The crew, Jerome Boger, headlined by that referee. You're not going to see them throughout the rest of the postseason. That's been reported. Not going to lose any sleep over that. But the Raiders were valiant. They did play well. Rich Passaccia should come back as the head coach. It'd be a disgrace if Mark Davis decides to go elsewhere. Give the guy a two-year deal, and away we go. That's game number one. What can you say about New England and Buffalo? Bill score on seven consecutive TD drives. They missed two extra points. That was pretty much the only thing you could criticize about the Bills that night. Because the... Josh Allen led offense, five touchdowns, 21 to 25, over 300 yards, just obliterated that overrated New England defense. And check the receipts. When New England was going through that win streak in the middle of the year, they were two and four and they won seven in a row. And I get it that they beat Tennessee and they beat Cleveland when they were still hanging around as far as the AFC playoff picture goes and a couple of other teams that they beat along the way. Granted, they did beat the Jets, and they also beat the Houston Texans during that streak. But everybody thought, look at the Patriots. They were able to shut these teams down. They beat up Tennessee the way they did. Shut down Cleveland. Go through the list. And I'm standing there thinking, give them credit. All right, they've won seven in a row, and they played well. But what offenses have they played against? They didn't go up against Derrick Henry. They didn't go up against Julio Jones. They didn't go up against any of these top quarterbacks in the league. And everybody's ready to anoint the Pats as a team that could be a dark horse going to the Super Bowl. And I was one in the small minority that thought, what are these guys watching? Yes, are they winning these games? Has their defense been impressive? Yes, but let me see this against a team that they could shut down, that they could make an impact. And I understand the Monday night game against the... Buffalo Bills, where Mac Jones only threw three passes, and we looked at how the New England defense played that night. But again, that was just a crazy circumstance because we saw three weeks later how Buffalo went to New England and beat up on them there. And then, huh, do I even need to go any further about what took place at Orchard Park there on Saturday night? Just an obliteration. A game that was pretty much over in the first quarter. A game that... Yes, if you hate the Patriots, you loved, you relished it because if you're sick of seeing the Patriots go deep into the playoffs and Bill Belichick on the sideline, rejoice, have a party, hallelujah. But that wasn't anything to really watch because 
New England didn't have any answers. Mac Jones, you could just tell he probably wanted to be on a beach somewhere because it was just too cold. As you saw, the weather was, what, six degrees at kickoff, etc. So game number two, nothing else to discuss. Josh Allen dominated. The Bills look like they're clicking on all cylinders. And New England's overrated defense. We'll see you next year. Philly at Tampa. 31-0 before the Eagles scored. And I understand that there was a chance there where the Eagles, as they were driving, Jalen Hurts throws that pick there in the end zone, which, right, for that split second, he looked like he had a guy wide open in Devontae Smith. And you didn't even see him until the second half as he wasn't even... Not even a decoy in that first half. But Jalen Hurts, the stage was too big for him. And not that I've watched every Eagle game. I did watch the one game against the Giants where Jalen Rager dropped that ball in the end zone where Hurts was awful in the game, but certainly could have had a chance to rebound and put themselves in a better position at that time in the NFC East. But watching Jalen Hurts yesterday, this guy's not meant to be Forget about a franchise quarterback, but even a guy that's going to be respectable to take your team to bigger heights as far as going deep into a postseason or even, dare I say, a Super Bowl. I get it that it's only his second year. I get it he's still young. He could still develop, et cetera, et cetera. But to me, I've seen enough. And it's not a knock on the kid because when he came out of college, I looked at him as a guy that maybe could be the future in Philadelphia. But... With three first-round picks coming up, and granted, they're what, 15, 16, and 19? They could still try to move up and draft themselves a quarterback. I get it's not a quarterback-rich draft, but who knows? They have a lot of chips to work with, and to me, Jalen Hurts is not the answer. But Tom Brady, as usual, another victory in his playoff belt. Touchdown passes left and right. Rob Gronkowski, Mike Evans, the list goes on and on as the... Tampa Bay Buccaneers continue their defense of their Super Bowl victory last year and move on to the divisional round in pretty much easy fashion. And then the San Francisco-Dallas game, I get it. Toward the end, there was a lot of drama, but the Niners were in control pretty much from the start. Opening drive, a touchdown. They kick a field goal on the next drive. Tony Romo exaggerates to the hilt with his, oh, there's a big stop here for... The Dallas Cowboys, if they don't want this game to get out of control, mind you, was in the first quarter of the game. But I don't want to get into Romo. I've talked about him in the past. But the Niners were pretty much in complete control. Even after the pick by Dak Prescott deep in Cowboy territory to where Debo Samuel split the defense, went into the end zone with about five minutes to go in the third quarter. It was 23-7. to And you're thinking, geez, are the Cowboys going to go out like that? But thanks to a fake punt, which led to a field goal and a terrible Interception by Jimmy Garoppolo to where Dak Prescott marched into the end zone to make it 23-17. And it was a ball game. Still, you had the makings of not necessarily a climactic finish. But it was certainly going that way when you look at some of the drives that took place afterwards. Including that final drive by the Niners where it was... Fourth and inches, and they were going to go for it, but then the false start, which held them back, they had to punt the ball, and then the Cowboys came marching down the field. Prior to that drive, the Cowboys had a chance, that fourth and ten to where the 
Niners blitzed up the middle and sold out to where Prescott threw a desperation heave to where Cedric Wilson almost came up with a miraculous catch. But on that final drive, as the Cowboys, with no timeouts, were trying to get themselves in position to make a last gasp, desperation, fling into the end zone, all you got to do is go to 14 seconds left. I get it that the Niner secondary were playing deep which left the middle of the field open. Why Dak Prescott decided to sprint up the middle of the field to get himself in position to where he'll have a better shot of getting an opportunity to throw the ball in the end zone at the 20 or 25 as opposed to the 45. But as time was ticking and as the umpire was trying to set the ball there so they could snap it to have at least one second left on the clock, time expired, the game was over, fans were throwing stuff onto the field, more so to the refs, and to the officials, then to the Cowboy players, to where Dak Prescott at the end says, hey, give credit to the fans. Terrible job on Dak by saying that, as well as the post-game stuff by Mike McCarthy, which I'll get to in a minute. But what in the hell was he thinking by sprinting up the field? Now, I understand. He's trying to give his team a better opportunity to get a shot into the end zone as opposed to doing it via the Hail Mary. But what should have happened is that he should have slid maybe around the 30, and off the top of my head, I don't remember what part of the field that he was able to slide and then to reset to clock the ball there at that point. But he knows that 14 seconds, no timeouts, the last thing he needs to do is to run until he absolutely has to slide, knowing that the clock is inching towards zero, And then for him to try to get the umpire to set where they know that they should have handed the balls to any of the officials or even the umpire for that matter because the center can't set the ball. It has to be done by an official. And therefore, time expires, 23-17. Was the game in doubt? I didn't think it was. I understood that there was a shot for the Cowboys to maybe make that last play. But once I saw... Prescott sprint toward the middle of the field knowing that time was not on their side. There was no way that there was going they were going to add a second or two seconds to the clock to make that last play one at the edge of your seat and wonder whether or not that the Cowboys would tie the game and even win the game with an extra point. I didn't see that happening. And to me, the Niners were in control. Kudos to them. They played well. Yes, they hung on for dear life at the end, but you never throw away wins. And the Cowboys... Very undisciplined, shot themselves in the foot with so many pre-snap penalties. All they could do is blame it on them. Even Jerry Jones said that it didn't come down to that final play. And kudos to Jerry Jones because you know he's always looking to, I'm not saying look for excuses or point fingers, but he'll certainly gloss over the fact that, well, you know, we had a shot or we should have given, been given another shot, but that wasn't the case. And Mike McCarthy, how could you defend that play call there at the end is beyond me. He's been in football forever. I can see if he was a rookie coach or a guy who has not been around the block. But for him to defend that, and I get it. He's not going to throw Kellen Moore, the offensive coordinator, under the bus or Dak Prescott or anybody. But he should know better. Knowing that, hey, that was the play that was given to us by the defense. It was a little bit risky. But we figured that if we could get a little closer and we're able to stop the clock there, it'll give us a better chance. If he said that, all right. Kudos to you, Mike. We understand, but for him to say that and even for Dak to point the finger at the official there, pretty much saying that, hey, we'll never know, we should have been given another shot, blah, 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 nonsense. They blew it, 
it was just a bitter way to end their season. Understood, but at the same time, they could only blame themselves for not only all the penalties, the breakdown there at the end, and what could you say? The Niners were able to pull out a victory in the long rivalry between those two franchises going back to the 70s, but of course highlighted by their 90s dominance there from 92 to 95. And in the nightcap, the Steelers, I knew that they were going to play better than they did three weeks ago in Kansas City. And they certainly did right off the bat. A couple of three and outs, even though the Chiefs did get a first down on one of the drives. Steelers couldn't do anything on offense. Shocker there. Deontay Johnson dropping balls on third down, which could have extended drives. Didn't happen. It looked like the Chiefs were going to take off after the punt return by Miko Hardman, who brought it down deep into Steelers territory. Next play, tipped by who else? TJ Watt picked by Devin Bush as the Steelers had some life there. And I said it last week. The only way the Steelers were going to win this game was field position and good field position at that and turnovers. They got the big turnover. What did they do with it? Absolutely nothing. But then the second turnover as the Kansas City Chiefs try to get cute with a little Wildcat, what happens? You get an exchange, a fumble there by Darrell Williams. He tries to pick it up, gets fumbled again by Cam Hayward. Then who? Johnny on the spot. Who else picks it up? TJ Watt as he slides into the end zone, 7-0 with about 10, 11 minutes to go in the second quarter. And you're actually thinking as a Steelers fan, wait a second. If the Steelers could somehow, someway slow down the chief offense on the following drive, then maybe, just maybe, we could be in the game in the second half. As it was, that was the wake-up call for the Chiefs. March on down the field, punch it into the end zone, 7-0. Next drive, same thing, march down the field, punch it into the end zone, and then the exclamation point with 52 seconds to go in the half. Travis Kelsey there on the sideline as Patrick Mahomes rolls out to his right, and Kelsey... No answer that the Steelers have. Remember, he didn't play in the first game in Week 16. He goes into the end zone 21-7. Game, set, match. What more can you say? Najee Harris finally fumbles his football, and when you saw that graphic, you knew it was just a matter of time. 382 touches in the regular season, not one fumble. He gets a fumble. That was turned into points there in the second drive after the halftime because the Chiefs got the ball. To start the second half, shocker, touchdown, and then the fumble by Najee, which led to the fifth consecutive drive by the Chiefs, which ended in pay dirt, 35-7, and then it was pretty much a swan song there, and a farewell for one Ben Roethlisberger. I'm going to reserve my comments until he makes it official. We know what he's done throughout his career. I'm not going to add anything more to what you've seen here over the last few weeks. I'll wait till he makes his announcement, and I'll have a soliloquy to say it all on the career of Ben Roethlisberger as a fan, as a diehard Steeler fan that I am, as everybody knows. So that's all there to discuss. And then we still have one more game to get into tonight, which is Arizona at the Rams, 815. I believe it's on ABC. And I'm sure the NFL, with true serum, Even they still probably wouldn't admit it, but you know that they're on their hands and knees begging for the LA Rams to win that game tonight. Because if it's Arizona at Tampa, granted everybody's going to watch, it's a playoff game, Tom Brady, etc. But that is the last 
matchup that they would want. And it would serve the NFL right that Arizona does pull off the mild upset at SoFi because after what we witnessed over this weekend, and let's say Arizona wins an ugly 24-19 type of game, that's what they deserve. And you could see Tampa just going up and down the field on Arizona next week to the tune of 38-17 and another eye bleed or eyesore of a game that you have to watch next week. Listen, I'm hoping that the Rams win. I would think that the Rams will prevail considering everything that's happened throughout the course of the season. Now, mind you, they lost that two seed by losing to San Francisco where they could have had two games at home if they were to win tonight. But as we know, they're going to have to go on the road if they do win to Tampa next Sunday. But as I said last week, and I'll say now, to handicap this game, it's going to be all on Matthew Stafford. To me, the defense could show up, and yes, their special teams could do well, and all that, but to, it's all on the shoulders of number nine as far as the Rams. Not only just winning tonight, but going deep into this postseason. And if you're a Ram fan, to my guy Chris Fitzsimmons, I'm sure he's going to be sweaty palms and all when he watches his quarterback on the center, knowing that he was brought to L.A. for this reason to advance and get to a Super Bowl to kind of doubt all the naysayers throughout his career in Detroit and mind you, you only had a handful of chances and opportunities to get to a postseason when he was with the Lions but what's your excuse now? He's got to put up or shut up with the quickness and an Arizona team which beat the Rams in their building earlier this year that's something that he's going to have to answer and hopefully silence in order for his team to live to see another week. Yeah, I'm going to say the Rams win. It's probably going to be a close game. It's probably not going to be a pretty game. Maybe the Rams get off to a fast start and then Arizona starts to crawl back. But maybe not much of a threat to where they're going to take a lead. Or And who knows? Maybe you'll have your classic game tonight. I'm sure the NFL could use it after what we saw this weekend. But man, and I'm sure there's a lot of NFL fans who are listening to this who are probably pissed off or just Jay Reels are probably even shut off by now. But I don't know. I'm not going to sugarcoat to people. As I say, always coming correct, directed, and full effect. I could break out the NFL pom-poms, shoot off the fireworks, confetti with coconuts and palm trees. But there's no way to mask what we witnessed here over the weekend. And I'll shut up and move on with that being said. As far as the games this coming weekend, obviously we can't talk about the game in Tampa, which will be Sunday at 3. And I'm not going to say, oh, if Arizona wins, it's this, or if the Rams win, it's that. Yes, it's easy for me to say that if Arizona does win, the Buck will probably stop in Tampa. And the Rams, who have beaten the Buccaneers over the last couple of years, including earlier at SoFi, but again... It's worthless, it's senseless to even get into any type of predictions because the matchup hasn't been set. So as far as the other three games are concerned, Saturday, 4.30, Cincinnati at Tennessee. Here's the thing about the Titans. They're either going to come out flying and Tannehill's going to throw the ball all over the lot. He's going to have confidence. He's going to have some juju. He's going to have just a lot to work with. We figure a healthy Julio Jones, of course, A.J. Brown, We may see Derrick Henry, which would be a gigantic 
and welcoming sighting to the five Titan fans that are out there. But then again, you can also get the Tannehill that may try to, to do too much, that may try to squeeze the ball in tight spots. And it's not to say that the Bengals secondary is opportunistic, but we all know with a one seed, having a week off, they can either come out of the gate like gangbusters or they get off to such a slow start that they're spinning their wheels, they're playing in quicksand, and before you know it, the Titans will be out of the postseason. So I don't know how to gauge this. But Cincinnati's coming in hot. You would think they should be relaxed. They don't have to really get into the press clippings. I get it that this was a huge win for the organization. It's been 31 years in the making. And who knows, maybe there'll be a letdown after all this is said and done. But I can see the Titans getting off to a fast start. But I can see the Bengals competing. And pretty much what it's going to boil down to, to me, is twofold. One, will the Titans do their best to slow down that potent Bengal offense, especially in the passing game? I get it that Joe Mixon can get his yards on the ground, understood. But at the end of the day, it's going to be Jamar Chase. It's going to be T. Higgins. It's going to be Tyler Boyd. Those are going to be the true focal points. And if Mixon can get off and have a big game on the ground, that's going to be big too. But to me, it's slowing down Burrow in that passing game, what the Titans will do there. And even if Derrick Henry comes back, and yes, he'll have fresh legs, although the foot, who knows, after a couple of poundings, a couple of tackles, will it be re-aggravated? Will it be a thing where he's not going to be at 100%? That remains to be seen. And again, it's unknown as to whether or not he's going to play in the game. You would think he will, but I'm going to say that the Titans eke out a close game. It's just that I don't trust the Titans overall, even being a one seed. Now, I get it was many moons ago when they had the one seed in 2008 and they lost to the Ravens in the first round, if you remember. Now, that was eons ago. You can't compare that team to this team or you could pretty much paint the organization in one big umbrella, how they've been in these spots. But I can see the Titans eking out a game. But can I see the Bengals win? Absolutely. But I think it will be tooth and nail to the end. And the Titans will move on to the conference championship game, which they will host in their building. The second game of that day, 8-15, will be Green Bay at home against the San Francisco 49ers. Familiar foes at that. They've been in the playoffs for so many instances over the last several years, dating back to, all right, I'm not going to go back to the 90s. We could with the... Packers beating the Niners in the NFC Championship game in 97, and then the T.O. catch in the end zone, both of those games at Candlestick. You could go back even in the last decade, the game where Colin Kaepernick ran up and down the field to 171 yards, I believe, on the ground in that divisional game. You could also get into that wildcard game where Kaepernick with no sleeves in four-degree temperature beating the Packers in the wildcard round to just a couple years ago in the NFC title game where the... Niners ran roughshod on that Packer defense and a blowout in the NFC Championship game. This one, who knows what the weather's going to be like. I'm sure Aaron Rodgers is going to think about all these losses to the Packers, or excuse me, to the Niners throughout the years. And unlike Tennessee, where they may be able to get off to a slow start and fight tooth and nail, I could see Green Bay firing on all cylinders 
coming out of the gate, whether it's 20 degrees or 20 below. And I'm sure the Niners, they're going to be tough. They are going to be able to try to do their best to run the ball. We know Kyle Shanahan and what he could do from the offensive side. Garoppolo, as long as he stays away from those bad picks as you saw there in the game yesterday. But I could just see this being Packers 33, Niners 18. I don't think this will be a game that will be in any sort of doubt. And then the nightcap there Sunday, which is probably the most intriguing game of the weekend, Buffalo and Kansas City. There's a rematch of the AFC Championship game last year, considering the way Buffalo played on Saturday night against New England, and obviously with the way the Chiefs have played, maybe this will be the high-scoring affair that everybody had thought it would be. Now the Bills, you would think, with all the mojo and the moxie getting over the hump there, that middle part of the season when they were losing these tough games, whether it was to Jacksonville, the Monday night game to New England, and now that they've righted the ship and they're pretty much playing the way the Bills and their fans thought that they would play going back to the start of the year, I could see this being a game where it could come down to the final possession. Where it's 27-23, Buffalo or Kansas City and now it's up to either Patrick Mahomes or Josh Allen to deliver that signature final drive to put them to the AFC Championship game. And I said it last week where we thought the AFC being wide open or is it? And with Kansas City having the game in their building, I can't see them losing. I'll say Kansas City 30 Buffalo 27. Let's just hope that divisional round, which usually is a lot better than the wild card round, historically. Well, let's just hope and pray that it's a lot better than what we saw here over the past 48 hours. All right, let me get to a couple of other news and notes here. Black Monday, we talked about it last week with all the coaches. Soon thereafter, we find out that Joe Judge has been fired by the Giants, and this comes... On the heels of Dave Gettleman retiring after four years as the Giant GM. So now you're going to have a whole new regime there for the Giants. They got to get this right. Because as we've seen, 10 years since their last Super Bowl appearance, they have been pretty much the laughingstock. And that's saying a lot considering that the Jets are in town. A laughingstock in the NFL. So let's see where they go as far as their GM and coach. Is concerned, I have no clue as to what direction are they going to go. Will they go with a younger GM or somebody that's in the up-and-coming ranks being plucked off of another organization? And then are they going to go to college to get their coach? Are they going to get a retread? Are they going to get somebody that maybe is not on our radar and all of a sudden, boom, here he is at the press conference, whether it's a Jim Harbaugh type a guy like that that you would have least expected and now wants to come in and pretty much put their fingerprints all over the organization and start anew moving forward obviously remains to be seen you also had the Texans firing David Culley which he got a raw deal let's face it here was a team that actually competed down the stretch granted they were 4-13 and understood but they beat the Chargers and pretty much derailed their playoff chances and then hung tight with Tennessee when they were down 21-0 and then had a valiant comeback and then fell three points short there in the season finale. So 
Who knows where Houston's going to go, even though Brian Flores has already interviewed for the position in Houston. Is he going to get the job? We understand that the love affair between the triangle once upon a time between Miami, Deshaun Watson, Brian Flores, that's not going to happen because you know that Watson's going to be on the block here come draft time. We get all the off the field stuff, whether that's been settled, which it hasn't been to at least this minute, but you figure that something's going to happen here over the course of the next couple of months to where the Texans could finally jettison their former star quarterback. So we got that to deal with as far as the -the off-the-field stuff in the NFL. And a couple of other quickies. One goes out to Don Maynard, the Jet great wide receiver, going back to the Super Bowl three days with he and Joe Willie. Passed away at the age of 86. Thoughts, prayers, and condolences go out to the former Jet. And not only that, but he was also drafted by the Giants in 1958, which a lot of people don't remember. But again, we're talking 60 plus years. But Maynard transitions. And sad to see him go at the age of 86. One of the last remaining members of that famed 69 Jet championship team. And I didn't mention this. A couple weeks ago, but I'll say it now. The Washington football team will announce what their team nickname will be. And I think the rumor has it that it may be the Commandeers. Which doesn't really roll off the tongue. Washington Commandeers. I I guess you gotta sit for one afternoon and kind of rehearse that. But if that's going to be the case, we'll see. But come February 2nd on Groundhog Day, that's when we'll find out the new nickname of the Washington football team. So we'll keep our eyes on that. So now let's pivot and go to the association. We'll get into some basketball here as we're a little bit more than past the halfway point of the NBA season. And we know that these seasons last forever. Same with the NHL, but we understand they've gone through several issues with the schedule and COVID, etc. But to think that for most teams, they're past the 41-game threshold. Some are right at it. And all I could say is that it has gone by pretty quickly. Now, who knows? They'll probably go as slow as molasses from here to the middle of April. But as we take a look at the NBA landscape and go through some of the surprises, disappointments as we see so far, and how could you not look at the two biggest surprises in the league, one being the Cleveland Cavaliers and what they've done? You can't even name their starting lineup. And if the first person that comes to mind is Kevin Love, yeah, you're right. But he's a guy that obviously isn't the focal point of the team. And after losing their number one pick for former number one pick in Colin Sexton to a torn meniscus, you'd really think that the Cavs would be at the bottom or languish toward the bottom of the Eastern Conference. But here they are, sixth in that top six to separate themselves from the seven through 10 tournament bracket. And you got to give it up. J.B. Bickerstaff has done a tremendous job to where they gave him an extension to 2027. A little premature, who knows, but still you want to have some continuity and good for the Cavs as they've really defied all odds and have put themselves in the middle of the pack there in the Eastern Conference. And as I said last week, and I'll say it again, I understand that Memphis may have been a trendy up-and-coming type team, but even with their loss to Dallas and after going through a record, franchise record, 11-game winning streak, the team is in fourth place in the West, 30-15, and and Memphis looks like a team that could make some hay in the West when the time comes around 
late April when the playoffs begin. Now, a lot could happen between now and then. We understand. But you got to love what they've done. I bet you you can't even name who the coach of the Memphis Grizzly is. No, it is not David Fisdale. Yes, he was the one-time coach. No, it's not Steve Jorger, who was also a one-time coach. Does the name Taylor Jenkins ring a bell? I'm sure it does not. He's the guy that's led the surge of this young Grizzly team that's highlighted by, of course, John Morant. And what they've been able to do here in the first part of this NBA season has been very surprising. When we look at the West, of course, you're going to look at Phoenix. You're going to look at Golden State. Obviously, the other teams, whether it's Utah, even though Denver has not played well and has been subpar throughout the course of the season. But with what Memphis has done, and it's good to see that in the NBA because we've rarely seen teams that have taken that leap or taken that next step. It's usually the same old, same old. Whether it's the Lakers, whether it's the Clippers, whether it's the Bucks, the Nets, etc., And rightfully so, those are your top teams in the NBA. But when it comes to the other teams that are on nobody's radar, that now you have to have your antenna up to pay attention, it's refreshing to see some of these teams, whether they're in it for the long haul, that remains to be seen. But at least for right now, you could kind of wrap your arms and say, all right, I'm going to take a look at this Memphis team to see how good they are, to see how far they could go. Same for Cleveland. Same for if you even want to throw in the Charlotte Hornets at 23 and 20. And granted, they had a hot start last year, led by LaMelo Ball, and then they fizzled out. They did make it to the playing tournament, but then obviously did not go far after that. But still, when we see teams like that, that we're able to say, oh, wait a minute, this team is doing that well? Where it's going to raise an eyebrow? That's good for the sport. Because everybody's tired of seeing the usual suspects at the top of the NBA charts and then everybody else just falls by the wayside. So those are my two surprises. As far as disappointments, it's easy to pound on the Lakers here. And I'm not going to spend too much time on that. We get it that they've had injuries. We get it that they're an old team. We get it that it's a mishmash of former All-Stars and former All-NBA players. And you could go down the list as I like to call them the Expendables from the old action movie series back in the 20-teens. But will that switch turn on? Will they be able to plug away and they're going to make the playoffs. I mean, that's, that's no shock there. But will they get to a point where you're going to take them seriously and think that they have a deep run in them? As of right now, I can't say that. I, I have to say no. I mean, I don't care... If Kareem suits up, I don't care if Magic, who is disparaging his former Laker team to where Russell Westbrook said, oh, yeah, it's his opinion. Everybody's entitled to it. Even if Magic comes out of the locker room, still not going to make a difference. So I'll just leave it at that with the Lakers. I can't get on the Clippers too much because Paul George has been in and out of the lineup, as we know. Also, no Kawhi Leonard. And it's funny, if the season were to end today, do you know that you would have a playing tournament matchup of the Clippers and Lakers in the first round. Who would have thought if you want to call it the first round? So that's what you have there. And then the other disappointment has to go to the Atlanta Hawks. Here was a team that went to the Eastern Conference Final, beat the Knicks in the first round, upset Philly where they won three games in Philadelphia, if you recall, and then took the Bucks to a six-game series in the Conference Final, and they have not been able to get on track pretty much since the start of the year. 
Yes, they've had their moments to where they've won some games and have crept up as far as the play-in tournament scenario goes. But right now, they are four and a half games back, 17-25, and 25, loses a five straight, and who knows, even with that extension, Nate McMillan and everything that he did there to pick up the pieces in the halfway part of the season last year, it has really gone south for the Hawks up until this point to where they look like they're going to be on the outside looking in as far as the NBA playoff picture goes. But overall, when we look at the NBA, and I get it, a lot of people, it's all about the NFL right now. Nobody's really paying attention unless you're a dying wool NBA fan. But we've seen what the Bulls have done, and they had a little bit of a scare where Zach Levine had sprained his left knee, but it's not deemed to be too serious. I'm sure he's going to take a little time off and in hopes to get him back in the lineup at some point. And speaking of knee injuries, Kevin Durant has been the big story here over the weekend to where he collided with Bruce Brown and sprained an MCL to where he's going to be on the shelf four to six weeks, maybe even eight weeks. And you could get away with not having Kevin Durant there. You need to have him healthy come April 17th or whenever the playoffs begin. That's all there is to it. Hopefully he'll get a few games under his belt before that, as you think he will. But as we all know with the Nets, it's winning the title or bust. It doesn't matter what he does in a regular season. Now it's going to hurt because you do not want to fall too far back in the standings and considering it's a logjam there at the top between Chicago, Brooklyn, Miami, the Bucks, and even the Sixers who have played well, winning 10 of 12 since Embiid has come back from COVID. So you have to factor in the Sixers here. But with the Nets, 11 of the next 14 games are on the road, so you're going to see a lot of Kyrie Irving here, which will be a welcome addition as we've seen Kyrie here in and out in these couple of road games over the last 10 days or so. But now you're going to see a lot of him with Durant out of the lineup and what kind of impact that Kyrie will have on this team with a bunch of road games ahead. So we'll keep an eye on that. But even then... The East, as competitive as it is, it's weird because the West is top-heavy. But what's funny is that the West is usually the dominant conference as we've seen over the last two decades. But when we look at the standings, after the Mavericks at 24-19 and and the Nuggets, as we talked about, have underachieved at 22-20, 7-10, everybody's under 500. To whereas in the East, the Knicks are currently 10th, and they're one game over 500, which is expected when you look at, you're getting to the 10th seed. And I understand 7, 8, 9, 10, you're going to see a lot of teams that are under 500, but when we're talking Lakers, and we're talking Clippers, and the T-Wolves, who are first in that 7 through 10 range, and they're just a game under 500, it doesn't look good when we shake down these standings, and you say to yourself, ooh, Is this what we have to look forward to as far as this playing tournament goes? Well, what do you expect? That's how it's going to be here if you're trying to incorporate this extra layer of playoff, chasing, tournament-making teams that will be relevant in March and early April. But overall, are these teams going to be long for the playoffs after the first round? And that includes the Lakers? Absolutely not. As we talked about the NFL, I'm not trying to beat that drum again, but the NBA trying to be a little innovative, trying to be a little different, and trying to make their season relevant for the fans out there. But 
The 7 through 10 thing, as I said before and I'll say it again, not a fan of. Because these teams, more so in the NBA than even the other sports, you rarely get that 8 beating the 1 or 7 beating the 2 upset in the first round. And even if they do, they're going to be sacrificial lambs in the second round. So to me, just scrap the whole thing altogether, but I understand why they're doing it, but I don't like it. And it's interesting because when we talk about Golden State, last week we discussed about how Klay Thompson's back into the fold, and obviously he's going to be on a minutes restriction to start. And they had an interesting week where they went to Memphis, to Milwaukee, and to Chicago to where they lost at Memphis, lost in Milwaukee in blowout fashion, but then they did turn around and blow out the Bulls the following night there in Chicago. But then they did lose to the T-Wolves last night to where the hot start that the Warriors had, and you knew they were going to cool off at some point, finds themselves three in the loss and two and a half back of the Phoenix Suns, who continue just to steamroll. And I'm not going to go back and talk about how I said last year, oh, I didn't trust the Suns or didn't believe in them. And as we got deep into the postseason and even into the finals last year, I was made a believer. Monty Williams and what they've done, and Chris Paul hasn't had the best of years. And not to say it's all on his shoulders, but give it up to the coach and what they've done because the Suns right now are showing that they're the best team in the NBA and that they were no fluke that even after beating the Lakers in the first round, minus an Anthony Davis there, especially in that game four where he hobbled off the court and he was never to be seen the rest of the postseason. But knowing that the Suns are piggybacking of what they did last year and showing that they mean business and they're trying to get themselves back to a final and get the ring that has eluded Chris Paul for now 17 years in the league, they certainly mean all business. But other than that, Utah playing fairly well. 3C, Dallas, let's see if they could get their season on the tracks as they got into a very slow start. Remember, at one point, I think they were, off the top of my head, I want to say they were 8-12, and 12, and they turned their season around to where they're respectable as a five seed in the West. And you're talking about Denver and then obviously the 7-10 through 10 with Minnesota, the Lakers, Clippers, and Portland, who I believe still hasn't gotten Damian Lillard back as he's been dealing with his ab injury. So that's pretty much it with the NBA. We'll keep our eyes focused as we get closer to February and then obviously the All-Star break, the trade deadline, which I'm sure will be big for some teams. So the NBA will start to... Get a clearer picture as football now is one round in and two more rounds, I'm going to say, because the Super Bowl obviously has the stage all to themselves there on February 13th. But with the divisional round and then obviously championship weekend, the NBA season will become a lot more clearer for us as we march on through the winter. Quickly with the college basketball, Baylor, who has not skipped a beat since their national title victory over Gonzaga there in the spring, now has faced a little adversity. All right, they were due to lose. You know they weren't going to win every game, but they did lose to Texas Tech earlier this week at home, and then they followed that up with a loss to Oklahoma State. So the first time in NCAA history to where a number one seed lost two games at home in the same week. Is there cause of concern there for the Baylor Bears? I would say no. I mean, of course they're going to make the tournament. I'm sure they'll still end up as a one seed, You know they probably got another loss or two in them between now 
and Selection Sunday. But, hey, what could you say? Tough break, two losses at home, highly unlikely. In fact, historic when you look at it, but they weren't going to run the table or at least even think about not being able to have that point in the season where they're going to stumble a bit, whether they lose three or five or go through a stretch where they do not play well. It just so happened that two home losses this week, and now it's reared its ugly head to the point where they're going to fall out of the number one spot. They'll probably drop down to, who knows, maybe as low as five because of those losses. And remember, they lost at Texas Tech, and they came on the heels of beating Kansas the week prior. So Baylor... There'll be some slippage there in the standings to where Gonzaga, you think, will now be the number one team in the nation. And when we look at college basketball, you figured that will follow that up. And pretty much everybody will move up a slot, whether it's Gonzaga will be number one, followed by UCLA, Auburn, USC, even Arizona. So you have a lot of the teams out west, including the Pac-12 with USC, Arizona. Representing, and it's good to see Arizona. It makes you think of Lute Olsen. It makes you think of Mike Bibby, Richard Jefferson, Miles Austin, oh, excuse me, Miles Simon. I'm thinking of the wide receiver from the Cowboys back in the day. Miles Simon, guys like that who were part of that championship medal there in the mid-90s to where the Wildcats were the kings of college basketball during that time. So, and college basketball will also be front and center here as we get into February. And now as we've seen a little bit of a changing of the guard there at the top where Baylor was pretty much steady there for the past month. We saw early on, whether it was Gonzaga, whether it was Duke, whether it was Purdue, losing that number one seed, and then now Baylor will lose that as the rankings will be up to date, I'm sure, at some point this afternoon. All right, let me turn my attention to hockey as the NHL continues to slog their way through the schedule. And as I've said, ad nauseum, still have a ton of games to be made up, a lot of games, especially with the Canadian teams and how no travel across the border. How they're going to do it, I don't know. But they continue to inch closer to the halfway mark. In fact, Tampa is the first team to make it to 40 games. You have quite a few other teams that are at 39. And then you have a lot that are just dropped off in the mid-30s. You have teams, uh, the Islanders have only played 30 games. So they have a ton of games to make up, as we know. But right now in the NHL, you have a lot of returns. I know Nikita Kucherov finally returned back into the lineup about 10, 12 days ago which is a big boost for the two-time cup champion Tampa Bay Lightning. You also had Jack Eichel. Remember he, former Buffalo Sabre, now a member of the Vegas Golden Knights, who participated in an optional morning skate this past week for the first time since he had that artificial disc surgery. He could return sometime in March, and it just felt refreshing. It was just great for him to get back on the ice at some point. Remember, this is a surgery that has been, I believe another player in the league has undergone the surgery but it was risky because it's a surgery that has not been done and who knows what the long-term effects will be as opposed to having the ordinary surgery and this was a situation where it was around the neck and having this artificial disc replaced is supposed to be a lot steadier and will keep the neck intact a lot better than the previous surgery and obviously I'm not a doctor to diagnose this but Because of the contact sport that the NHL is, it's unknown on whether or not this disc is built for the long run. So we'll have to wait and see on that. But good to see Eichel back on the ice and he's going to be a boon for Vegas, especially at that time 
in March whenever he returns to get that push towards April, towards the playoffs. So we'll be sure to pay attention to that. But maybe one of the bigger returns will happen with the Bruins, and that's Tuka Rask, the goaltender who did not play last year in the postseason. Not only did he have a situation with a torn labrum in his shoulder, but he also had to get hip surgery to where he returned in the lineup in his first time on Thursday against the Flyers. A 3-2 win, 27 saves, did not have a lot of work in the first part of the game, but then was able to secure the win. As the Bruins right now have won 8 of 9 games and are trying to get themselves involved in the Eastern Conference, when we look at these standings on a whole... They had a lot of games postponed a couple of weeks back, so they have about four or five games in hand in their division to where they're now five points behind Toronto in for third place in the Atlantic where both Florida and Tampa are tied at 57 points. So the Bruins now, as they get their netminder back, let's see, with the way they performed here over the last couple of weeks, they've certainly done a tremendous job, and by having Tuca back, I know that's going to bring the team together, a lot of confidence And you would think with Bruce Cassidy, the coach of the team, and he's been just up in arms, just ecstatic with the way the team's responded and now getting Rask back. Who knows what that can mean for the Bruins down the road and getting themselves in the Eastern Conference as far as the playoffs go. Other than that, the Rangers now in first place in the Metropolitan, 54 points, playing very well. Chris Kreider is having a phenomenal year, 24 goals. He's a guy that a lot of Ranger fans were pulling their hair out of their heads knowing that he was a guy with size, strength, speed and had all the ability to be that power forward in the NHL. Well, he's finally, after all these years, blossoming to that guy that they were hoping to be and a lot of people thought that he was going to be traded or not be resigned but as they did, they resigned him and he's having a killer year. So kudos to him and what the Rangers have done. And then out west, Colorado... Tops tied with Nashville in the Western Conference, in the Central Division, that is, where we have St. Louis, even Minnesota, who's played well, but they slipped here a little bit as they were in first place going back two, three weeks ago. And then in the Pacific, what about the Kings? Uh, Where does the surge by the Kings have come? Because all we've seen out West was Edmonton to start off the year. Vegas got off to a slow start. Vegas right now currently in first place, three points ahead of the LA Kings, and even the Uh, Anaheim Ducks have played pretty well to where they're three points behind the Kings. But Edmonton has fallen into the toilet, although they've had a lot of games postponed with COVID, including their star player in Connor McDavid. Calgary, which have played well to start, they've now slipped big time to where they're losers of four in a row. And the Pacific has certainly been topsy-turvy and upended when it comes to the teams early on in the season with the standings. And now those teams are at the top or at the bottom and vice versa. And all we can do is hope that these games get made up. I know the NHL season, a lot of people probably have been disconnected by it due to all the postponements and who knows when these games are going to be rescheduled. But hopefully, even with them being on TNT and ESPN, having more of an outlet and finding these games a lot easier as opposed to the NBC Sports Network. But I can imagine... Even for the casual fan, they cannot get into what's going on with the NHL because from one night to the next, you have either games canceled or teams that haven't been playing for days and weeks on end. And how's that going to keep anybody interested, especially in this day and age when there's so much to watch, so much to do, 
And it's just sad and unfortunate, but the NHL just, as I said, will continue to slog through it and hopefully get some continuity to this season. So that's pretty much what I got there with the NHL as we get to their halfway point. As far as the Australian Open, let me get to that. I know all the talk and the buzz was about Novak Djokovic going back to last week. And all I'm going to say about this, as you know by now, he is not participating in this tournament The government has sent them home. They've canceled his second visa application. And all this could have been avoided if Australia and their government was staunch from the very beginning to say, okay, you want a medical exception? Fine, but you're going to need a visa here. And because he's unvaccinated, and obviously with the way the world is down there, where you can't even go from state to state without being quarantined, they should have just said from the start, Novak, before you even get on a flight, this is the process, and chances are you're not going to be a part of this tournament. They could have saved them the time, the effort, the energy, and especially the news, the back and forth of appeals, reinstatements, all of this other nonsense. And yes, Novak Djokovic was extremely disappointed by the result as the court and their ruling was that, uh-uh, he's not going to be able to participate. Medical exemption, visa, it doesn't matter. And even though he respected the decision, he didn't like it. So now I'm sure he's back in Serbia somewhere, somewhere in Europe. And now there's even been reports that he may not be able to play in the French Open. But that's nothing to get to right now because the French isn't until the end of May. So we'll put a pause on that. But Djokovic's and trying to get to that 21st Grand Slam, which would be number one all time as far as men's are concerned. He's going to have to wait maybe until Wimbledon to even get that. And that's even before if Rafael Nadal doesn't win between now and then. Now, is this good for the sport? Is this good for the Australian Open? Is this good for the tennis fan overall? You could argue it's not because of who Djokovic is and him trying to attain history and going for that elusive 21st men's Grand Slam title. But you still have a lot of interesting storylines here. Rafael Nadal, is he a guy that could go ahead and maybe steal this tournament? Considering that he has an opportunity to be number one overall, considering he's tied with Novak and also Roger Federer, who's not participating in this tournament. So you know he has some incentive there. And not only that, but he also was not in favor with the whole Djokovic cloud that was hanging over the Australian Open. He pretty much expressed his displeasure over that. But now that that's in his rearview mirror, he could focus in on this tournament and see how deep it could go. But we all know with Daniil Medvedev, who is going to be a formidable opponent and probably right now the favorite to win the Australian Open. You also have Stefano Tsitsipas, Alexander Zverev, who won his first round match there. Remember, they're 12 hours ahead, so the tournament is underway. The men's side, to me, it's pretty much wide open. But it is top-heavy with those aforementioned tennis players. You want to even throw in Nick Kyrgios. He's a guy that maybe could get himself close to a quarterfinal, semifinal, or even a final He's a little bit too erratic for my liking, but he's a guy that you may have to take a look at here and maybe have his fingerprints all over this tournament over the next 13 days. And as far as the women's side, you had Naomi Osaka win. Coco Goff is your first upset as she lost earlier today to Wang Zhang of China. You also have Ash Barty, who had a cakewalk of a first round. So the women's, no Serena, no Venus for the first time since 1997. You would think Osaka's going to be the favorite. She's the defending champ of this tournament. 
But as the aforementioned Barty, Sophia Kennan also lost earlier today. So there's another one that's ousted. And that's not even talking about a lot of the other players on the women's side that could have a say when it's all said and done. Whether it's Victoria Azarenka, Barbara Krejcikova, uh, I can't pronounce her name. I'm ter- it's terrible with these names when it comes to uh, the women's side, unfortunately. But you have Petra Kvitova, Garbine Muguruza. So there's a lot of competition there on the women's side, although people will probably think Osaka or Ash Barty will be the favorites to come out of this as a winner. But for the tennis fan and for the sports fan that's looking for something else, and I get it, nobody's going to get into the Australian Open. Obviously, I'm going to follow. I love the major tennis tournaments or even the major tournaments to begin with, whether it's golf or tennis for that matter. But a little bit of a diversion, something else to get into other than the normal sports here that we've come to know and watch. So you know I'll keep my eyes on that. But the tournament on a whole, I get it. It's going to lose some of its luster without Djokovic. It's not going to be the same for some people as Djokovic. He's a guy that you want to root against. He's a guy a lot of people do not like despite his greatness. So you're not going to have that. And I'm sure for some people it's like, ha ha, good riddance, who cares? And for some people it's like, all right, let's see who's going to come out of the men's side and be champion to start off the 2022 tennis calendar year. And of course, one other woman that I forgot was Emma Raducanu. She of the U.S. Open being the champion of the final tournament of last year. So that's a name also people got to pay attention to to see how far she goes considering maybe she could ride some of the coattails of last year's championship and some momentum into this one. So again... We will zero in and I'll keep my eye on that. As far as the baseball goes, there really isn't anything to discuss. I hate to say it, people. I know it's on nobody's radar right about now, but think about this. Do you know that four weeks from today, pitchers and catchers would report throughout Arizona and Florida? That's how close we are to spring training. But as we all know, we might as well be miles away when it comes to any type of collective bargaining agreement between the players and owners. Yes, they did meet on Thursday, but pretty much it was just preliminary talks. Nothing as far as nuts and bolts or anything that was something to sink your teeth into when it comes to whether it's free agency, whether it comes to certain rules in baseball, whether it be the universal DH or even a playoff system that will be expanded for more teams, which I hope that's not the case. We've already seen what that does. Less is more, guys. But we get that's going to be a chip that the owners are going to throw at the players. Whether or not the players want to do that remains to be seen. But we haven't even haven't even come close to that. So now we have to hold our collective breaths again until both sides come to the table. Will they meet again at some point this week? Will they meet at some point before the end of the month? Will it be until after the Super Bowl? Who knows? As I said before, and I'll say it again, I could see after the Super Bowl where this will really start to heat up because owners, as well as players, they want to get paid and they don't want to miss a game. They don't even want a shortened season. But in order for them to get themselves off on the right foot, and I don't even know when the season begins. I know it's usually at the end of March. Was it uh, March 31st? Is it into April? I don't even know. That's how far off I am with the baseball at this moment. But if they want to get a season off on the right foot, they would have to get to me. 
they would have to get this on and popping, meaning the collective bargaining agreement signed, sealed, and delivered by March 1st. Because then you figure it will take a week for pitchers and catchers to report. Then the players will trickle in a couple days after that. And then by March 14th, 15th, you'll start getting some exhibition games. You just pick up the schedule where it is at that point. And then hopefully you stretch your pitchers out as much as you can, which I know is going to be tricky. But between that and then also free agency, you still have some big free agents that are out there. Obviously, Freddie Freeman... Trevor Story, Carlos Correa, Clayton Kershaw, down the list. So, come March 1st, whether or not you have an agreement, but let's just say if they do, there's going to be some time to where you're going to have to sign these players, and I'm sure it's going to be fast and furious to see who's going to sign on a dotted line at that point to where they could report to their teams, get themselves acclimated to new teams or their surroundings to get themselves ready for the start of the season. And that's all I got. Nothing else to pretty much add there when it comes to what's going on with baseball. So with that said, people, let's get right to it. My hero and zero of the week. My hero is going to go to John Lester. Three-time World Series winner, 200-game winner in the major leagues. Of course, mostly with the Boston Red Sox, but we all know he did pitch for the Chicago Cubs. Briefly for the Oakland A's, as well as his one year in St. Louis. Not only did he throw a no-hitter early on in his career, but we all know he's a cancer survivor. 16-year career. I believe he was 217. Is he a Hall of Famer? Uh, I'm not going to say that just yet. Uh, early returns would say no, but let's not kick him on the way out the door. But he's had a career that we could certainly celebrate with the three World Series titles, two in Boston, one in Chicago. Of course, those two cities which were starving. Now, mind you, wasn't on the 2004 team, but we get it. Cubs, Red Sox, historic franchises. And for him to have the success that he did throughout the course of his major league career to go out on his own terms, John Lester, you are my hero of the week. And my zero of the week is going to go out to Seattle Seahawks quarterback Geno Smith, who was arrested on suspicion of DUI just hours after the final regular season game in Arizona to where... The Seahawks flew back, and I guess he wanted to celebrate or get his offseason off to a happy start. And what happens? He gets pulled over by a DUI. I believe he cooperated and did the proper steps, but still, just hours after the regular season, for him to now have a brush with the law and have to go through that, not a good look, not a good optic, my guy, but I hope that he's... Doing well, and he's able to recover from this, which, again, it's just a DUI. Thankfully, nobody was hurt, injured, or even Paris for that matter. But still, should have known better. Gino, sorry, my guy, you are my zero of the week. And that'll do it, episode 233, just about in the books. But as I like to say to each and every one of you, for those who have listened, whether it's your first time, 10th time, 100th, etc., you know the deal. I do not take your participation and support lightly and certainly for granted thank you so much for stopping by to listen to what it is I have to say about what goes on in the world of sports as I've said time after time I know there are a zillion outlets to get your information and to be entertained and informed etc but for you to stop by here thank you so much again and if you haven't done so just like I said at the top please subscribe rate review this podcast throw me a few stars write a review share this with your friends if you're on social media take a screenshot share it with me share it with whomever 
as I try to put forth this podcast each and every week. I'm not going anywhere, people, as you well know. But if you could do that, I would greatly appreciate it. And if you want to hit me up on social media, you could do so with the following on Instagram, J Reels, or the J Reels Podcast. On Twitter, J Reels One, just the number. On Facebook, the J Reels Podcast fan page, and the old fashioned way. On the J Reels Podcast at gmail.com. Send any questions, comments, criticism, praise, whatever it may be. You know that I will hit you up ASAP. And finally, if you want to support this endeavor, please do so by going to www.patreon.com. P is in Paul, A T is in Tom, R E O N is in Nancy. What that's going to do with your support, and I'm planning to branch this out a little bit with some exclusive content down the road. But of course, I'm looking to build this platform because what this does is between the upkeep of this production, whether it's the website, which I have to renew on a monthly basis to not only that, but just to keep it bright and slick, all that, whether it's the equipment, as I'm looking to not only increase the hardware when it comes to my equipment goes, more microphones, better stands, things of that nature, to enhance this audio experience for you, the listener. 100% is going to go to all that. The production, equipment, everything that I've said because whether you do or do not know people, this is what I love to do. This is what I love to talk about. It's in the blood. It's in the DNA. Whether you agree or disagree, as long as you're here listening to what it is they have to say on everything that goes on in the world of the diamond, ice, gridiron, hardwood, golf course, racetrack, tennis court, octagon, boxing ring, you name it, from my lips to your ears, from my heart to your soul, from where I am to wherever you are, the J Reels Podcast always comes correct, directed, and in full effect. From the South Bronx, the South Beach, the South Central, the South Pacific, and all points beyond, peace, love, and God bless everybody. And until next time on the J Reels Podcast, on the flip, baby. <laughs>